I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The, the answer is have a process. And by the way, Tayo, I, I don't care if it's my process. It's just have a process. Most companies don't have a process. When I say a process, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. A process has a series of steps that you go through every time and you don't take shortcuts. You do your due diligence and your homework. Even when you get a gut feel, that's great. You don't just start skipping steps and getting sloppy. Uh, that's the first thing. Most companies don't have a process. I mean a process like show me your process on a piece of paper. A process that is predictive, right? What good is a process that's not predictive? Like, let's just flip a coin and be done with it. Should I hire or should I not hire him? And most companies, their average accuracy is 50-50, so you might as well just flip a coin. So that's the first thing. If you have a process, even if it's not mine, you're highly likely to make fewer mistakes. You're also more likely to have diversity, to have an inclusive spirit because you're focusing on those things that are predicted and not bullshit, things that are not predicted. When you have a diverse environment, you're more likely to win because of the the diversity of thought. I don't mean diversity of height or origin or skin tone. I, I just mean people in a room that think about things differently are more likely to come up with a better solution. How you day, how you day, people with different thoughts are more likely to come up with a better solution. Have you ever wondered how to recruit rock stars, how to recruit the best candidate for your startup, for your team, maybe as a, as a co-founder or whatever you want to do? Have you ever wondered how to recruit the right people for the right culture? Well, you're in luck because that's today's guest, Jeff Hyman, who is a four-time CEO, has made over 3,000 hires and has over 25 years of executive recruiting. He talks about all these things and more, how he got into the field, what he's noticed with the trends, and how digital media can actually help you invite the right type of people. We're talking about how to recruit rock stars for your company. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Jeff Hyman. Now, Jeff launched his recruiting career at Hydric and Struggles at Spencer Stewart. Today, he's Chief Talent Officer at a Chicago-based Strong Suit Executive Search. And along the way, Jeff created four companies backed by $50, $50 million in venture capital. He currently teaches the MBA course by recruiting at Northwestern's University's Kellogg School of Management and hosts the Five Star Strong Suit podcast. So he's a podcaster like, a, like me here. He's also, <laughs> been, <laughs> he's also been featured by Inc., Fortune, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Business Insider, Bloomberg, and other media outlets. His new book, Recruit Rock Stars, has garnered so much praise. You know, people can say, 
People have talked about how they read the book in one weekend. They loved it. Um, everybody wants to hire A players, and but you know this book helps you understand what B players are. And so we're going to basically go into the mindset of what it takes to recruit rock stars, what it takes to be the type of person that can assemble a great team, and how to assess and access your company's um, DNA. Welcome to the show, Jeff. It is so great to be here, Tayo. How are you? The pleasure is mine. I love your energy. I'm excited. And I think it's a great day to be alive. Um, every day is, right? Every day is. Every day is. Speaking of being alive, huh, um, what, what, what makes you, what brings you life? You know, what was the thing as a, as a kid that you knew that you needed to do in order to become the best version of yourself? And then how did I you had, get there? Yeah, I had two passions as a kid. Uh, I was the nerdiest kid you could find. <laughs> Big Afro. Couldn't get a date to save my life. Uh, got my first computer when I was 13 years old. And so I was not your idea of Mr. Popular. Probably the opposite of you, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I was uh, – <laughs> people always make that. People always think it's different. I initially – very, very hyper kid. I've always been hyper. Um, but when I grew up in Nigeria, I was, you know, I was fine. I was like you know, just a normal kid. When I started to grow up in different cultures – I had this inferiority complex because I was the different one everywhere. Yeah, sure. So, so that was kind of what was happening. So maybe people on the outside thought something was going on, but on the inside, I felt very inferior. And I'm I'm also this like walking contradiction where I played sports a lot, but I'm also a full on nerd. Comic books, Harry oh, Potter. We're gonna get along just nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I played the sports, I did all the track and all that, but I, I also had those things. But I had to work internally. Like I said, this career for me is as much a personal thing as it is a, a professional thing because I've always wanted to know what it's like to be seen, heard, and understood for who you are. And now that's what I try to make sure I do. So, well, I can I can promise you that I I can out nerd you, Tayo. Oh. I, 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 here here are my two passions. Okay. I was thirteen years old, playing the oboe in a symphony. Oh, okay, okay. Which oh. is not a great way to meet the ladies, and. Uh, like I said, got my first computer. I started my first computer when I, uh, first business when I was 14. It was not a lemonade stand. It was a database marketing company. And, uh, I don't know. Something about it just clicked. I, I loved the creativity of creating music. I love the creativity of building a business. Both are, are obviously team sports. You know, whether you're in a symphony or starting a company. Um, wow. and so I was on my way. They, they just, they really turned me on way more, by the way, than, sitting in a classroom. My grades were nothing to write home about. Uh, I was, I, I, I much prefer to do stuff and get stuff done. Well, I, I think you might have won that, that battle. <laughs> but <laughs> so then, okay, then take me to the point where you now started getting jobs. You know, you know, we talked about your career. You've had this illustrious career. You've raised a lot of money. You know, what were the, the pitfalls on your way there? Well, I'm sure my career is littered with the same kind of things that a lot of people uh, experience so much of job satisfaction. I think, I think it's 50% is your relationship with your manager. Mm. People don't quit jobs. They quit bosses. Um, and I've had some of the worst bosses and I've been very blessed to have some incredible lifelong friend mentors, you know, in your wedding kind of bosses. And, um, and I've seen the difference firsthand and I think most of the listeners can probably identify with that. Um, and so, you know, in those experiences, you learn what to do and what to replicate and you learn what never to do. 
um, and you hopefully you take those on board as you go into your next role. So that was a big thing that I learned was just how to interview a potential boss and make sure we were going to click and make sure I was going to learn from him or grow from her or whatever. Um, there's plenty of crappy bosses out there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's, that was – well, I started off with two crappy bosses, right, two military yeah. dictatorships. And, yeah. I, you know, one of the things I noticed with leadership is that I think a true leader understands what it's like to, to allow people to be the heroes in their stories. And I, that's and, right. And I always say this, it's not that the leader is, you know, he or she is caring about being the hero. They're like, hey, this is my job here to ensure that you, as an ABC player, get to work in your own lane under the best conditions. And that takes yep. a lot of understanding who you're, who you're dealing with. And so what would you say, because you've done a lot of research, you wrote a whole book on, on this. What would you say is, is the best way to tap into people's competitive advantages? You know, I think it's a mindset uh, question first. And what I see a lot of managers and leaders do is they focus on managing their time up. So they focus on impressing their boss. They focus on um, getting a claim, on presenting at the right meetings or getting in front of their investors, whatever. I think if you become an exceptional leader and focus your time down, if you will, building your team, recruiting amazing people, developing them, creating a place where they can do the best work of their life, people will notice. You will move up. There's just no question because that is such a rare skill. I think it's a bit of a gift because not everyone cares about developing a team. Um, now, ironically, if you're an individual contributor, you're not leading a team, then your number one job is to focus on impressing your boss, doing a great job, uh, uh, you know, creating value, never letting him or her make a mistake. But once you become a leader, a manager of people, it's all about managing down, not up. Managing down, not up. And why do you think people focus on managing up? Because they worry just... about politics. They worry about cover their ass. They worry yeah. about keeping their seat. They worry about stuff that doesn't matter. If you don't create a great team that in turn creates great results – you're not going to last long anyway. Yeah. So uh, I, I just don't buy that you should spend 95% of your time managing up. Now, I'm not saying it's unimportant, especially in a larger organization, but I generally find that great results get noticed. They'll get noticed internally by your boss and his boss or her boss, and they'll get noticed by headhunters like me, and we will find a great opportunity for you to move up at another place if we need to. Yeah. But yeah. – but a lot of people just don't spend their time developing their team. Now, I, that's 100% right. And you said something that got me curious. You said they would get noticed by headhunters like you. Now, occasionally, you know, I, I meet a lot of headhunters, and I'm always curious as to how they even find talent, you know, how they figure out who's a good person to be this executive in this firm. I'm just curious right. about that process. Yeah, it's well, so fascinating. It's, it's like matchmaking. <laughs> so, it is a little bit of um, – matchmaking like dating it's a little bit psychology mm. uh it's a little bit luck and timing you know happen to come across the right person at the right time um it's kissing a lot of frogs so i wish i could say it's sexy but i'm on the phone all day every day with people across the country um and you are so lucky when you meet someone who is a rare talent just gifted they can name their ticket these days because the unemployment rate being as low as it is 
um, means they got a lot of opportunities. Um, so how do you do it? Well, Teo, Teo it's um, uh, it's being a little bit skeptical, right? I don't rely on a resume. I don't believe that just because you went to a great school that, that somehow qualifies you. I, I actually love people that learn in the school of hard knocks. I love people that had adversity at a young age. They become very resilient and very able, able to come overcome obstacles when times get tough in business. Um, I look for great, like I said, great team builders, people that know how to recruit and build great teams. You can, they can almost do anything in any industry, in any function. They're very transportable. Um, whereas people that manage up and are good at optics and politics, that doesn't interest me because that's not a good predictor that you'll be successful in the job that I'm trying to fill for my client. So uh, it's results, right? It's quantifiable, objective, and by the way, referenceable results. Mm. Though that's how you find it. Referenceable results. You hearing that people always be I always tell people to quantify be able to quantify the results, but that takes it to the next level. Referenceable results. If you can't if you can't put me in touch with the majority of managers you've had, at least in the past, I don't know, eight to ten years. If for some reason I can't talk to them, even if there's a really good reason, uh, and I'm taking a big chance because I can't validate what you've told me, mm. right? And I'm not in the business of taking chances. So I would far rather invest my time with a candidate who says, you can talk to any manager I've ever had. Um, they'll tell you the good, bad, and ugly. But in general, that level of confidence and that kind of referenceability is a good thing. Awesome. Usually those calls go very well. Yeah. No, love it. Now, in the book, your book, um, you know, Re Recruit Rock Stars, you show people out to fire, uh, to not fire. <laughs> you show people out to no, find. No, we talk about firing too. You do. I know you do. But I, I was trying to say you show people out to find, hire, and keep the best of the best. Yeah. So yeah. One, one thing I want to talk about then is why do you feel like we should replace job description with job invitation? Sure. So when you think about job descriptions, what most people can identify with is they suck, right? They're boring. They're uninspiring. Uh, they read kind of like a hostage negotiation letter. You know, you must do this. You must have this. You must have that. It's a laundry list of bullet points. Uh, a study was done about three years ago that found that those bullet points can really work against you. 80% of men and almost 100% of women reported that they will not apply for a job unless they feel they meet 100% of that list. And guess what? Very few people meet 100% of that list. It's just, you know, you're narrowing it down and cutting it so thin when you say eight to 10 years experience of that and this industry experience at this and you must have gone to this school and there's just not a lot of people, especially in a 4% unemployment market. So instead, a job invitation is a, is a different mindset. It is a advertisement. It's what job descriptions were probably supposed to be. And, it, and, 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 and I, pay, I pay a professional copywriter to write mine. You know, cost 50 bucks. And these things are just beautifully written. They inspire. They talk about what's so special about the business and the mission that we're on. What is so compelling about our industry and its growth? What are the unique challenges in this role? And what are you going to get to do? Um, it doesn't really talk about your requirements at all. Leave that to me. I'll figure it out. You know, if we have a conversation, I'll figure out if it makes sense to, if there's a fit. But instead, it's much more of a job advertisement with an invitation to let, you know, let's have a, a confidential discussion as opposed to a job description, which is written by some, you know, legal person or HR person. And it's just a bunch of bullet points that doesn't move anybody. Mm. Yeah, 
No, the bullet points don't move anybody at all. That's what I'm saying. They don't. You, what moves people is stories. And by the way, video should be in ev- a link to a, to a video should be in every job invitation that show that that has some of your top performers talking about why this is such a special place. Why do they love it? Why is there great opportunity? That's what moves and inspires people. Not a bunch of bullet points. Okay, awesome, awesome. And then and then if people said it's a job invitation. That's a better mindset type thing. You talk about mindset a lot. That's a that's a better mindset thing as opposed to description because you're. you're I'm inviting of, you yeah. into our home. Yeah. I'm inviting, and by the way, you're a rock star. So you're you're doing well already. You're making money. You're uh, currently employed, and I'm inviting you to consider switching. And that involves risk. That involves uncertainty. You're busy, so it just involves time of the process. I need to entice you. I need to tease you and, and, and invite you into my home, and let's just have a, a discussion. I, I, I don't know if it's the right fit for you. I'm not going to be so presumptive to say you need to look at this opportunity. I just tell people, look, in 15 minutes, let's have a short call. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So then I talked about this in your intro. You say you talk about how to assess your company's DNA and use those characteristics to find candidates who are guaranteed to fit. Now, we're yeah. moving from just the – job description to job invitation. So how does assessing companies' uh, DNA and using those characteristics help you with your fit? Yeah. On a couple of dimensions. The difference is that the DNA is the is the essence of the person, how they are wired. Just like we all have DNA that determines our height and weight and skin and hair, receding hair in my case. <laughs> uh, we all have a DNA that's that psychologists tell us is is pretty hardwired by the time we're about eight to 10 years old. And if you're going to be a very detail-oriented, obsessive person, if you're going to be an introvert, if you're going to be creative, if you're going to be musical, you are that person by eight to 10 years old in general. And that is highly predictive of what your behavior will be on the job. So interviewing you and understanding your DNA and whether that's a fit with our company's DNA, because every company has one, is very predictive. Where people go wrong is they they mix culture with perks, right? We have a ping pong table and we're fun and we love to have beer and blah, blah, blah. Those are perks, right? I'm talking about the essence of the person. And I haven't yet figured out how to interview for, for culture fit. I'm looking for a match, just like dating, on those core three or four DNA characteristics. And by the way, if I can find those, I have a lot of room in my home for different backgrounds, cultures, diversity, gender mix, etc. Because those DNA characteristics are so hard to find that when you find them in someone, you make room on your team for that person. And that they, they are highly likely to be successful. Highly likely to be successful. That's amazing. Even if you got to train them on the skills of the job, that's the easy part. DNA, I can't change. DNA can't be faked or changed or trained, you know, Southwest was airlines was built on you know we we hire for attitude and we train for skill they didn't care what your background or experience is if you're one of their flight attendants that just has this big personality they're funny they're they're engaging they're warm they'll train you on how to become a flight attendant that part's easy yeah no and i, and I love what you said because I, I i say this often i think it's you know it's easier to train for the skill than the, the, the DNA or the attitude. Like, you know, someone like, maybe it's because someone like me, I didn't necessarily go to the best schools. I went to like the B schools or the, you know, good schools. I, I was a, 
I was, a, you know, I got the three six GPA, but I was never quite Harvard. Better, better than I got. Yeah, well, you see, but but that was the thing. So I was always like, um, and then you also have the your foreigner type thing. So you always have all these strikes because they're like our schools. Are like we don't want to, we have this quota, we have all that. And so in my mind, I was always like, what? What? I think the scrappy kids are always better. You know, Absolutely. because I think I, you, I, look, I can't say always better, but I will say, Tayo, that there is it is too much of a coincidence. Yeah, that when I spend time with people who have faced a lot of adversity in their life. It could be a cancer scare. It can be uh, they traveled a lot as a, at a young age, moved around a lot as a young age. You, It definitely forms and hardwires that DNA. Yeah. And just as there are many people that have gone to a top school that I would not recommend to a client or maybe for a particular position I would not recommend, the inverse is true. And so there's a lid for every pot, and there's never a need to – be insecure about it, apologize for it. We are what we are. Um, and you just got to find the right home and the right boss that doesn't care about GPA or school or any of that noise, which, by the way, has been proven to be not that predictive anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. No, yeah, and, and you're right. Always is too strong of a word. But yeah, but I've always wondered if there was a measuring system to be able to test for scrapness because, you know, I got an MBA, right? So, but whenever we were looking to fit the criteria, I was like, but I think you should probably measure for creativity and, you know, just that stick to because that's what an entrepreneur is. And, you know, obviously I didn't have enough power to argue my grades. They still said, sorry, you can, you're, <laughs> not, you're not going to be here, but <laughs> you need your GMAT to be higher. I was like, all right, fine. But um, <laughs> I just think, I think that would help a, a lot of people. Um, but yep. okay. Um, then, even, uh, even, even Google, Tayo, even Google has banned the use of GPA. They used to look, you know, you had to have 3.8 and top school, and they would give you all these brain-bending mind teaser questions. They banned all that stuff because it doesn't work. It's not predictive of anything. I agree. I agree. I agree. 100%. And we're probably breaking a few hearts here. I'm not saying that A students aren't good because I wasn't A. I wasn't mostly A student, right? I had some Bs, A, B. So it's not like I'm coming from that, but I just want there to be, you know, us to look deeper. Then just Absolutely. Those and, and, that, if, and if the hard. company you're talking to is not willing to do that, then it's the wrong place. You're going to be miserable there and don't waste your time. Absolutely. Speaking of methods to make sure that we find people that don't waste our time, you have a 10-step uh, – you actually call it bulletproof. So this one I can actually – It is be, bulletproof. I can if be, you follow it, it's bulletproof. If you don't follow it, it's not so bulletproof. <laughs> well, can you, talk, can you walk us through your bulletproof 10-step method for landing the best talent based on – Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Data instead of gut feeling. 
Yeah, let's let's pick a few versus trying to go through all of them. Let's pick a couple that I think are especially important. Okay. Uh, you know, one is interviews. This is the number one used way to assess candidates, and it's the number one abused way. Most interviews are 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 so useless at predicting the success of the individual. They're unstructured, random questions in a random order that you ask different questions to different candidates. And, and you walk out of there not knowing anything more other than your unconscious bias, which is really important. And it's not just important in diversity and inclusion, which of course it is. But if I meet someone as a human being, I form my, my initial impressions in 30 to 60 seconds. That is just who we are as people. And we have to acknowledge that. We then, because we hate being wrong as people, we spend the rest of the interview looking for data that does nothing but reinforce that hypothesis. So she walks in, she has a bad handshake, bad posture, and kind of introverted. I immediately say in my back of my brain, ugh, she'd be a terrible sales rep or horrible director of marketing. This is going to be a waste of my time. And then we look for data that supports that. But your gut will be wrong half the time. For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is those things are not predictive. Her handshake, her posture, if she's introverted, it doesn't matter. She still may be a gifted sales rep or marketing head or software developer. Just And the inverse is true, right? He walks in, he's out of central casting, he's gorgeous and he's tall. Mm-hmm. People assume they assign, uh, they, and they've done studies, right? They assign he's a better leader. He's going to be more successful. He has a deeper voice. There's all these things that our brain pollutes us with so the book talks a lot about how to take your interviews and make them actually useful now they're still not going to be perfect you're still going to make mistakes false negatives and false positives but a structured interview can actually be much better so that's a big one and when we talk about that in in the book but probably the biggest one uh, is chapter six where we talk about the test drive and this is the number one most predictive step in a recruiting process yet 91 percent of companies skip this step. Most companies have a great interview and the hiring manager says, I found it. I found my guy. He, you know, he's our new head of marketing or she's our new head of sales. And they move to write to an offer. And the problem is the person that showed up for the interview is then not the person that shows up for the job, right? Because great interviews or great candidates are not necessarily great employees and vice versa. Some of the people, some of my best hires ever didn't give a great interview, Mm. right? They were introverted or reserved, whatever. So the test drive, and the book lays this out, is essentially a simulation, right? For a couple hours or a couple days or a couple weeks, whatever time I can get with you. And we're gonna, I'm going to give you an assignment, a project uh, that simulates the job. If it's a software developer job, I'm going to have you write some code, and then we're going to go through it together. If it's a head of marketing job, I'm going to have you review my website and tear it apart and tell me the eight things that need to be improved. If it's a Sales job, I'm going to give you a dossier to study about a prospective customer and our products, and you're going to come back and present to us. Whatever simulates the job, and I haven't found a job yet that I can't come up with a test drive for, that is a far, far better predictor than the interview because I'm going to see you in action, right? See how you talk, how you make judgments, how you ask questions, how you absorb information. Frankly, can you follow the friggin' directions? Some of the people I give a job test to or a job audition can't even follow the directions. 
So that and that's the best work you're ever going to see out of that person. And by the way, pay him if you have to. It doesn't matter because you're going to avoid a lot of mistakes this way. So the book talks about that, and it's a crucial step in the process. Yeah, yeah. It, no, I love the fact that you brought up job simulation because that's so key, right? And yep. even there are companies, especially I got my MBA, and a lot of times there were companies that would come here recruiting. Yeah, and they would give you case studies or stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So those type of things I always find. I thought they would like that's kind of cool because you get to assess the skills before you even determine if they're good for the job, and it's based on their merit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. But a lot of companies, most companies, skip it, and it's really a shame because it it helps to identify uh, candidates that will do well on the job, despite how they do in the interview, <clears throat> and those are the ones that you want on the team. And your close rate goes up. You're actually more likely to get more yeses when you go through a test drive because now the candidate has also seen you in action. Mm. They can see the kind of work they're going to do. You've taken some of the mystery and the risk out for them and made it more compelling. And so you actually get a higher percentage of yeses versus noes. Yeah, yeah. No, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Well, then I feel, you know, a lot of your questions are going to be very similar, but uh, digging a little deeper. You also talk about how to attract winners like a magnet. You're very... Yes, I can see why you wrote the book. You're very good with the analogies like things, <laughs> uh, yeah. things like this. But when you're attracting winners like a magnet and avoiding the mistakes that result in bad hires, yep. you know, from the sourcing and the interview, which you just mentioned, you know, how can you make sure that you don't do those things? How can you make sure that when you're sourcing, when you're interviewing, and you're closing, and you're onboarding, you're ensuring that you have straight up winners? So the the answer is have a process. And by the way. Tayo, I, I don't care if it's my process. It's just have a process. Most companies don't have a process. When I say a process, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. A process has a series of steps that you go through every time, and you don't take shortcuts. You do your due diligence and your homework. Even when you get a gut feel, that's great. You don't just start skipping steps and getting sloppy. Uh, that's the first thing. Most companies don't have a process. I mean a process like show me your process on a piece of paper. A process that is predictive, right? What good is a process that's not predictive? Like, let's just flip a coin and be done with it. Should I hire or should I not hire him? And most companies, their average accuracy is 50-50, so you might as well just flip a coin. So that's the first thing. If you have a process, even if it's not mine, you're highly likely to make fewer mistakes. You're also more likely to have diversity, to have an inclusive spirit because you're focusing on those things that are predictive and not bullshit, things that are not predictive. When you have a diverse environment, you're more likely to win because of the, the diversity of thought. I don't mean diversity of height or origin or skin tone. I, I just mean people in a room that think about things differently are more likely to come up with a better solution. And in an increasingly competitive world where more and more of your customers are, are women or diverse or global, if you have... A, a culture that doesn't reflect that, you're going to lose because your competitor does. Yeah. So, so you're more likely to win on that dimension. The last thing I would say is that um, you do need to be a little skeptical because your gut will mislead you. I try not to trust my gut. I try, even after 25 years of doing this, to go through the process. I still make mistakes, but um, if my gut says, oh, he's a winner, I really try to dig a little deeper, make sure I'm not missing something. Am I getting emotionally tied to this candidate or whatever? 
And when you don't have a backup candidate, it's very easy to start skipping steps, to start uh, making mistakes because you, you're desperate. You, are, you, you succumb to warm body hiring. I got to get a butt in the seat. When I'm always interviewing, when you're always recruiting and you develop a pipeline of talent, so you're always interviewing every day, every week, and you spend, by the way, a good chunk of your time on it, you always have a backup candidate and you don't feel that same sense of desperation um, and nervousness that if I lose this candidate, there's always another one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is it does mean changing your mindset from that just-in-time hiring to always be Always be hiring, always be recruiting, just like, you know, always be selling. Always be closing, always be selling. Always, always be, be closing, hiring. right, yeah. always be closing. What movie was that from? It's like Glenn Gary, Glenn yeah, Ross. Yeah, perfect, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You yeah. got you to gotta see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But always be recruiting, and, and that's, that's an amazing thing. And thank you for taking us through that framework. And the reason why I did that is because I wanted everyone, you know, listening to understand and put themselves in different positions as recruiters, as CEOs, As entrepreneurs, whether it's you know leading up, leading down, like you said, understanding where they fit into today's world. Because the reality is, the world doesn't look like it did before. I mean, I'm so I'm in, I'm a, I'm the typical millennial. Right? I'm I'm in, in my late twenties, but previous in the previous generations, recruiting was different, uh, just because of the different platforms that you have. Now you have more flexibility with yep. with uh, where people can find jobs, where how people can can reach out to you, whether it's LinkedIn yep. or digital media. So yep. understanding how you're positioning yourself, where you said you, you make yourself referenceable, understanding how you're building your brand to ensure that, you know, your work is what speaks loudest about you um, is so important. And it's everything, if, it's yeah. ev it, you know, it used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago. You relied on a resume and what schools they went to and what companies they worked at. You know, they worked at IBM or Microsoft or whatever. You don't have to do that anymore. Now I can see your work. I can see your LinkedIn reviews. I can see uh, the names of people that you've worked with, and I can call them, and I can get them on the phone. And I can check you out and do so much due diligence that I don't have to rely on these BS you know, indicators. Um, as long as I know what those predictors are, which, again, the book lays out, but that's not even rocket science either, um, and as long as I am disciplined about a process. Yeah, as long as you know what the predictors are, you're disciplined by process. Talk to me about why you wrote the book. We're getting ready to close here, but I, I'm always curious about authors and why yeah. a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, to be honest with you, Tayo, this was my first and last book. This is this, it is a it is a labor of love. Okay. <laughs> Way more work than I bargained for, but I'm very glad I did it. And I did it originally not as a book, but as a I guess you'd say kind of a guide to help some of my clients because I, I found when I would do uh, an executive search with my clients, I would have a process, but then I would give them the introduction and they would botch it up. Their interviews stank or their reference checks stank or whatever. So I've kind of put together a guide of here's how you do it. You know, I kind of taught my clients and then a few of them encouraged me to turn it into a book and here we are. There's a book. So it, it, it's relevant to any company in any industry at any size, five people or 5,000. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, I'm really glad that I, I did it. It's, uh, like I said, it's a labor of love. Yeah, wait, one and only, one and only. But get, you definitely put all your, your effort into this because the book is really good. And, and you're nervous. Like I had no idea people would like it. You know, of course. When the first Amazon reviews come out, and I, I've been very blessed, but 
you're like, oh boy, is this is this a piece of garbage? Are people going to love it or like it or hate it? It's it's your it's a very vulnerable type of thing. You're kind of putting your baby out there, podcasting. And I have a podcast too. Every every episode, I get a new chance. If one episode isn't great, the next one might be. But when you do a book, it just feels so permanent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, it is in many ways because it's not as easy to just like re, re, re update or do that. You have to like go through another process. It's not like you can on a podcast say, "Hey, I'm sorry about." You know, something I made yesterday. That's right. But I want to fix this. That's um, right. But, you know, listen to your story. You, you said you're, you're a self-proclaimed nerd. You had um, interesting times where you didn't weren't necessarily the best student in school, but look at what you're doing now. You're raising money and all this. And um, you got a podcast and you got a great book here. There are certain people in my audience who, who have experienced the identity crisis that both of us have experienced at a young age or even sometimes in adulthood. And when we look at the world today, sometimes that heightens our identity crisis. So I'm curious yeah, sure. if you could talk to those people right now who may be listening and trying to figure out their way into the world. And, and maybe because they feel like the world is only suited for only uh, people that are extroverts and, and yeah, have yeah. those types of personalities. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I am very optimistic, more than I ever have been in 25 years of doing this, that um, – a number of factors have come together, have con are conspiring and creating these amazing tailwinds that make it possible for anyone to build the kind of career that they want to build. And, and, and on the flip side, for companies to build a great company if they're committed to recruiting great people. Um, you can now recruit from around the world. And if you're providing your talents and your gifts, you can provide those to companies around the world. So just your sheer market opportunity has increased dramatically. And the internet made that possible. Um, the transparency, you can get noticed. You can build a personal brand, which I think all of us need to do as individuals, managing a career. And you can build an employer brand that shows people why they should come work with you, why they should choose you to spend two, three, four years of their career working at your company. It's easy when you're Amazon or Apple and Google, you're flooded with hundreds of thousands of resumes unsolicited every year. But when you're a five-person consulting firm or a hundred-person little website firm, you need to build your employer brand. And now that's possible. Again, with the internet, with video, you can tell your story. You can build referral programs and make it engaging in a way that you never could before. It doesn't matter... Your, your origin, your country, what school you went to, your GPA. I was on academic probation. You can do anything you want to do. Now, you can't fake it. You got to live and love the stuff you're doing. And I think that's where people struggle, figuring out what that is. That's very hard. And Tayo, I don't have any, any great answers there other than you better figure out the earlier the better in your career what really turns you on, right? I found it at 13. Some people find it at 50, but the sooner you figure it out, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And, yeah. and once you do, you're off to the races. There's nothing anymore that can hold you back other than your, your mindset, uh, which can be very, very limiting for some people. It is. And I absolutely agree. And the reason why I always start off every podcast with people telling their stories is because a lot of publications, and you and I have been featured on, on them, Forbes and all, on Fortune, they start off with the success story first. 
And that has always bothered me a lot of times. And sure, you know, it's an overnight success yeah, that took yeah, years. Yeah. This book, the book I wrote, you know, it's a best selling book, but it was 25 years in the making. Exactly. And I'm still not happy with it. Exactly. Um, exactly. And overnight successes, the problem is the media loves them because they make a great story Facebook, Google, et cetera. Those are the rare exceptions, right? Mm-hmm. Trump, we're, uh, politics aside, right? Worked his fingers to the bone from age 20. Uh, you know, uh, uh, every great entrepreneur at Amazon, you know, he was, Bezos was stuffing books in boxes out of his garage 25 years ago. Uh, now he's the world's richest man. So the overnight success myth makes great stories and movies, but it's not legit. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's why I love what you said, because I want people to understand that thing you said, you know, I knew what I wanted to do when I was 10, but it wasn't until I was 20, 22 after near-death experience that I was brave enough to step into that. And that was And that near-death experience helped create your life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing you're, I don't know what it was, but I'm guessing you're pretty grateful. Yeah. Because, yeah. right? It yeah. got you going. Yeah, it did. Because what happened was at that moment, I realized that life was too short and I had been, I'd been dying instead of living. And a lot of people never have that quote-unquote good fortune of getting that kick in the ass and they become 25, 30, 40, 45 before they realize, Oh, you know what? I don't have infinite amounts of time on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. And you brought the great point is many times you said eight, nine, we know what we want, but what we have to do, especially in today's world, which is very difficult. I'm not saying it's, I, I, I had to go through several things for me to actually just say, I had to go through a freaking near death experience to say, okay, let me try this. Other people don't get that near the experience because, you know, not everybody goes through that type of experience. And because you don't have something that shakes you up sometimes, you're like, ah, well, I'm comfortable, right? Yeah, And the problem totally. with comfort zones is that it's a nice place to live, but nothing grows there. So, yep. Um, yep. I, I, and, and that's why I wanted you to say what you said because I, I felt like you would have a, a, a true authentic place to come from where you're like, yes. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be unwindy. You don't have to have this type of look or have that type of face. Um, but if you stay committed, it takes 25 years, it takes five years. You stay committed to essentially being who you are and understanding that what you're doing is in service of your big picture. More times than not, you'll have a more fulfilled life. Absolutely. And even if you fail, yeah, uh, which you will, by the way. You definitely will. <laughs> 100%. Um, <laughs> Those failures teach you so much. Like I said earlier, when you have a crappy manager, you learn so much from them about how not to be a manager that it actually helps you quite a bit over over the long term. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. You're, you're. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Thank you, thank you, Ty. You. Oh, um, e- easiest way is the website. Which is the name the name of the book, recruitrockstars.com. Recruitrockstars.com. If they want to email me, I'm at Jeff at recruitrockstars.com. Yeah. Okay, okay. Recruitrockstars.com. We're gonna put that in the show notes. And uh, we'll make sure that everything that you said is all linked here because this is truly an amazing book. And you don't even have to be recruited, but I think this helps you with a mindset of understanding how you fit in today's landscape. Uh, Absolutely. It's really written for the non-recruiter. But yes. if you're going to build a great career, at some point you're going to need to recruit people to your team, as employees, as contractors, whatever. Uh, because business and life is not a solo sport other than you know, fishing and golfing, which I guess some things are solo sports. But mo- for the most <laughs> part, they're not. 
But it was really fun to be on. Thanks, Tayo. No problem. Uh, before no, before we go though, before we go, I had this last yeah. question. This is the last question I always ask my yeah, guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my, <laughs> my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So, how do you use your difference to make? Um, I help companies build exceptional teams, and it gives them an unfair advantage over their com- competition. These days, it is very hard to develop an unfair advantage. Technology can be copied in a week. Your marketing can be copied in a week. Your strategy can be copied in a week. But if you build a great culture, a great team, and you field the best team, you'll win. Uh, and so I'm, that's my mission is to help companies do that. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, not as short and catchy as your mission, but <laughs> you've had a lot of time to think about it. No, no, it works. It works. And um, I want, want to thank you for spending um your time with us. I know you have, you have a very busy schedule, so thank you so much. And I can't thank wait for this episode to get out. Thank you. All right. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 